It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Brett Baer, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. I'm Ryan Schmelz. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted for a fourth time, and once again, the former commander-in-chief is defiant. This one reaches all the way into the Oval Office in some instances. It alleges well over 120 individual acts that are in furtherance of this alleged racketeering conspiracy, so it remains to be seen if it doesn't push Georgia's law beyond the breaking point. This is the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A nearly 100-page indictment alleges former President Trump broke the law in his attempts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. With this indictment, 18 other co-defendants have been named, including former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and attorney Rudy Giuliani. But with District Attorney Fonnie Willis hoping for a speedy trial, those in the legal world say that's going to be challenging. Well, certainly this is a very broad indictment. Uh, It's the broadest and most comprehensive use I've seen of Georgia's RICO. That's the racketeering statute here on the books in the state of Georgia. We're speaking to Philip Holloway, a former Cobb County prosecutor in Georgia, the county right next to Fulton, where the defendants have been asked to turn themselves in. Uh, Our law here is, is pretty strong, and it does allow prosecutors to look outside their own county for any criminal acts or specific bad acts that might be in furtherance of a conspiracy. But this one reaches all the way into the Oval Office in some instances. It alleges, uh, you know, well over 120 individual acts that are in furtherance of this uh, alleged racketeering conspiracy. So it remains to be seen if it doesn't push Georgia's law beyond the breaking point. This is obviously going to be something that will be the subject of a a pretrial appeal, I'm certain. Right. And I think the RICO law has gotten a significant amount of publicity because of this indictment. And I think we should probably touch on, you know, why it's playing in here, why the district attorney feels that this law should be used in this situation and and how this kind of diverges from what it's normally known for being used for, which is usually to prosecute, prosecute either gang members or mob members. Yeah. Or drug cartels. Uh, we've got a big trial going on right now in Fulton County involving, uh, you know, a rapper and his crew. And they've alleged that, that they were all a big racketeering enterprise. This district attorney likes the RICO law and she likes to put lots of defendants together on a RICO indictment and watch them point fingers at each other. It definitely can give a prosecutor the upper hand. And, and can you just explain it for us real quick for those who have never heard of it before? The way I like to describe a RICO case is if you can envision a wagon wheel and you've got the center hub, which would be sort of the focus of the conspiracy, the purpose of it, right? And then you've got the spokes that go outward. And at the end of each spoke, you've got uh, a person. And these are all the individual defendants. And so 
they may not even know each other. They might not have any idea what somebody else on the on another part of that wagon wheels up to, but because they are charged with working together as, as racketeers, the acts of one are considered to be the acts of all. So even if you don't know what your co-conspirator is up to, you can be on the hook for it under the RICO law, and that's why prosecutors love it. It's very powerful, and it allows them to assign criminal responsibility to people who might have not even known certain activity was happening. And is that how we see the word criminal enterprise appear a couple times in this indictment? That's exactly why it's in there. It's that they're saying this is a criminal enterprise. That's the the spoke of the wagon wheel, right? That's the criminal enterprise. And they're saying that all of these people, whether they knew it or not, (laughs) were working together uh, in support of that criminal enterprise. In some cases, they've alleged that these acts in furtherance of the criminal enterprise took place when Donald Trump was the serving president of the United States, when he was still in office. Things that he did and said and talked about in the Oval Office with his lawyers. So we don't know if the RICO law here in the state of Georgia is appropriate you know, for that. Now, that being said, they don't have to prove all of the specific acts they allege. They just have to prove a couple. But she really has left no stone unturned uh, in her efforts to to paint these people out as being really, really corrupt, bad actors. Uh, this is a speaking indictment, we, we would call it. This is probably the longest one I've seen in a state prosecution perhaps ever in my career. It's 98 pages long. This is what we would typically see in a federal indictment. The typical state indictment is just a few pages long. This one really, really is very broad, and I'm sure the parties are going to vigorously appeal any and all aspects of it pre-trial and try to get as much of this thrown out or whittled down as possible by either the appeals courts here in Georgia or perhaps even the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, one thing that's also really brought about this case is the number of defendants that we're seeing seeing uh, being, being brought into this indictment. How does that play in here, just having so many different defendants here, 19 total, but obviously the centerpiece being former President Trump? Well, I think that some of these individuals, um, you know, these might be people that didn't know they were getting caught up in this necessarily. Uh, they're going to have to go out and find uh, expensive lawyers if they can, or maybe they'll have to hire a, or get a public defender to help with the with the defense of the case. But what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of these defense lawyers clamoring to the DA now, possibly, to see if they can somehow cut a deal to testify or cooperate uh, whatever it may take to get off the hook, because the racketeering counts alone has a mandatory minimum prison sentence of five years. So to the extent that these people might have neglected to or, or, or not wanted to try to, to work out something in advance with the prosecutor, now that the indictment is real and it's hit home, now they might be thinking twice and their attorneys might be advising them, hey, look, let's let's talk to the DA, see if we can see if we can get out in front of this and cut some kind of a deal and then testify against some of the other co-defendants. And how do some of those who might have lesser charges on them compared to maybe former President Trump, how does that impact, you know, the, the criminal prosecution of him in this case? Well, each individual person uh, who is named as a defendant 
if you look at the indictment, they, they are named in multiple counts throughout the indictment. And, and most of them have at least one count in common with, with Trump, particularly those that are involved in the racketeering. So there, there's not many, and I'd have to go back and look through it, but I, I don't think there's many that don't have at least one count in common with Donald Trump. So uh, he definitely is the not only the top name on the indictment, he's the top target of this of this trial. We have been speaking to former Georgia prosecutor Philip Holloway about the historic indictment of former President Trump in Fulton County, Georgia. And I might be reading too much into this, too, but uh, one of them is Jenna Ellis, who used to be a, a lawyer for former President Trump back when he was trying to to push some of these voter fraud claims. And now she's uh, uh, based off of what where she's been on social media and everything is now an uh, an ardent Ron, Ron DeSantis supporter. D d am I reading too much into that or could that possibly play here that she's no longer really a Trump ally? Well, I don't pretend to know whether Jenna Ellis is a Trump ally or not, but maybe she soured on Trump. I, who knows? But she was if she was working as a lawyer, there were other lawyers indicted, Rudy Giuliani, for one. It, this is one of the problems that I've got with this indictment is that, you, you know, you're, you're prosecuting people for what they say, political speech. Right. That's protected by the First Amendment. And to if you if you have your lawyer, Jenna Ellis or Rudy Giuliani or uh, Ray Smith here in Atlanta, it's one of the attorneys named. If you have your lawyer making an, a, a pitch to a political body, maybe the Georgia Senate or to an individual like the Georgia Secretary of State, and you're using your lawyer to petition the government for redress of your grievance that you believe you have, that's protected by the First Amendment. And I mean, specifically in there, you have the right to petition the government for redress of grievances. And that includes calling the secretary of state on the telephone. And so if you're using your lawyer in this way, are we criminalizing sort of the legitimate exercise of First Amendment uh, protected conduct? Or are we criminalizing um, a specific tactic used by a lawyer in representing a client? Lawyers don't always have all the answers to everything, and sometimes they are presented with sort of a, a unique set of circumstances. Everything's not always cut and dry, and, and lawyers every day make arguments to judges that the judges don't buy. If you look at any oral argument in the Supreme Court, one side loses, right? So just right. because a lawyer makes a claim and presses a legal uh, theory that, that doesn't work, that doesn't mean that lawyers committed a crime. And so some of what this does is it's going to be, a, I think it's going to have a chilling effect the next time any person wants to challenge an election. I mean, can you imagine if we had prosecuted and indicted Al Gore back in 2000 for challenging the, the election in Florida? That was a, that was a fiasco down there, but it was, it was, you know, what we do in politics, in elections, when one party loses a razor thin election, it's not at all unreasonable for that person to explore any avenues that might be open to them. And in a presidential election, you've got a clock that's ticking. You've got the electors that have to meet right in D.C. on a certain date. And that's the clock you're up against. And that's why the Supreme Court stopped the counting in Bush versus Gore is because they were up against this deadline. And that's why Donald Trump had lawyers telling him 
you need to get an alternate slate of electors up there just in case we prevail on these claims in Georgia and elsewhere. And other lawyers were saying the vice president, we think, has the authority to accept an alternative slate of electors. Now, I personally don't think that that is the case, but lawyers uh, were, were pressing that case to Donald Trump. They were giving him that legal advice. And are we now making it a crime to follow bad legal advice? This is, this is a very disturbing indictment on, on very many levels. And, and a last two questions here. Just how hard is it to defend or prosecute a case like this? This case is going to be a giant problem for the courts to, to digest. The prosecutor bears the burden of keeping it organized, but there's going to be so many lawyers filing so many motions on behalf of so many defendants. This is going to be very difficult to get through the court system. She says she wants to have a trial in six months. There's no way. Yep. There is no way that this case is going to be completed in six months, maybe six years, certainly <laughs> not before the election. There's appeals that have to be addressed by the Georgia courts and perhaps the federal courts. There may be a petition to remove this case from state court into the federal system. There's a federal law that provides for that in certain circumstances involving federal officers for conduct uh, that is alleged to have happened while they were in office. So there is lots of things that can happen that can run this train right off the tracks. This DA is not going to have her trial in six months. Yeah. And so the six months, it just seems very unrealistic at this point. It's a pipe dream. There's no way. There is absolutely no way this case will be completed in six months. Phil Holloway, we appreciate you joining us on the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Thank you. Always happy to be here. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.